You might have a mom, she might be the bomb But ain't nobody got a mom like mine Her love's till the end, she's my best friend Ain't nobody got a mom like mine Welcome to Teaching My Mother ABA, where we put a unique spin on teaching ABA by using pop cultural references and real life stories. For this episode, you may need a strong drink, but sit back, relax, and enjoy the shit show we call life. Okay, so first of all, I just want you to know the last time we had this guest on, it was a complete nightmare. Like the whole recording was, it was like, if we look back at that episode, like I remember, cause I was in Idaho. So we have. Oh yeah. Kept- that's when I had to run to the other room because. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. And it was a 7.30 AM recording. Yes. <laughs> okay. So this um, we'll reintroduce our guests, but I mean, there's, we can only go up from where we began. So the quote I have is, um, it's a really big story for me. I'm surprised I don't tell it better. That is your motto, not the quote for the, (laughs) (laughs) if you've ever had her tell you a story that she just thinks is hilarious or that she thinks is a story in the world he tells it with such emphasis that you're like oh yeah oh yeah and then the story just ends and there's no like there's no climax there's nothing so let's introduce our guest first before we really get into it so i i only say this guest name in one way and it's like mariah 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 so we have because she loves me so much that's why so we have Mariah Sierra with us. She is our what's uh, what's your title? A director of school services. A director yes. of school services. Yeah, which I think has changed since our last time we had her on too. <laughs> I think so too. I think yeah. so. Um, okay, so you have to reintroduce yourself based on what has changed on <laughs> since we last had you on. Okay. So what's um, new? What, so- how do you reintroduce yourself? Still a hot mess express, but <laughs> director of school services now. And that is not a hot mess. It's been wonderful. Um, I've been getting to work with the local school district and work with teachers, mostly doing staff trainings on ABA principles. And it's been wonderful. We are going to soccer practice four days a week. And that's great. And uh, yeah, we have three soccer games on Saturday. So that's where I'm at right now. Plus pictures. Okay, so Plus I think pictures. you need to tell us, tell us the story about what is hanging outside of your house right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I think okay. that sums up your life. My life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my, my wonderful husband is an avid hunter and he went on an antelope hunt about a month ago. And it, about, it, looks, it looks about a month. It looks like about a month old. <laughs> yeah. Secured an antelope and has great plans to European mount it, which is where you like take all the, the skin and the hide off of the head and then mount it. But right now there's just a, an 
rotting antelope head on my front porch. Hanging <laughs> from my, where my where my flower baskets are supposed to hang. <laughs> it's hanging by a horn. I'm like yeah. our so neighbors all we're not the neighborhood favorite already. Now we're <laughs> definitely not the neighborhood favorite. So, so I heard that story from Anissa because Mariah and Anissa were just together. They were just in a, they did a training together. So I I initially heard that from Anissa and thought it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. I'm like, we have so I have a European mount that my husband did, but he did not hang it from my front porch that I had to smell it every time. That was I the worst part. It doesn't smell anymore and it's just now it's just there. <laughs> my kid like any scary movie that involves like dead things or animals my kids will not be frightened because they lived through this time in our lives your house has been marked (laughs) well I'm like so she shows it to me and she's just like hey look what's outside my house and I'm like it looks. It seriously looks like a pagan ritual. It <laughs> like, does. It's not even is no joke. Which is hilarious because inside of Mariah's house, she has this wall, which I absolutely love because it's the they're beautiful. But just this wall full of crosses. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have to get past the pagan part yes, to get to the to crosses. To the crosses. Like, yeah, it balances. It's, like, it's, it's all about balance. You have to give yeah. some weird sacrifice in order to get inside the house. To the oh my god! So, Britt, what have you been up doing, or what what have you been up doing? What have you been up to this past week? I would love to hear it. My gosh, I have recorded. I think so. I've recorded one, two, three, four, five, six, seven modules of our forty-hour training. Um, so we're splitting them up and it's amazing. Our RBT training is going to come out in October. Uh, the release date is up in the air right now because I want it sooner than our marketing person thinks that she can get it done. So we'll see when that happens. Um, but I'm also going to Vegas in the end of the month. So I'm trying to get all of my recordings done by the end, by then, and yesterday, I was on the phone with Anissa, and she's like, "Okay, Marge Simpson, you can't record anything <laughs> right now. Like my voice, it just keeps going in and out, which is also because my children are sicklings and have again been home sick all week. They've been home two days this week, and I had to go pick up cash on Monday because he threw up. So." And my amazing oldest son, who does not like to get dirty, uses an entire roll of toilet paper when he goes to the bathroom, especially right now since he's sick. So I have had the opportunity to plunge my toilet three times this week, (laughs) cleaning up throw up, um, to not use like there's something stuck in my throat. So it has been, um, it's been a week. (laughs) Oh, well, you sent me to Clovis, New Mexico, which that is not the problem. I wanted to go. No, I know. So I I love the conversation. So I was talking to Hugh on Sunday night and he's like, are you coming to see me for whatever reason he needs me to see him? And I'm like, no, I have to go to Clovis, New Mexico. 
And Britt's like, oh, she gets to go see Miss Raya. And he's like, I want to go to Mexico and see Miss Raya. And Britt's like, no, she won't let any of us go. Like, <laughs> no one. Clovis no is one the hot spot. Yeah. Farley's love Clovis. <laughs> and how he said it was hilarious, though, because he's like, uh, was it I want to escape to Mexico or I yeah something <laughs> like I want to go to Mexico like get out of and go to a Mexico I need and to get out of Boise yeah I Huey need to get out of Boise is perpetuating something that I've lived with my whole life anytime I've traveled outside of the southwest and I tell people I'm from New Mexico they're like oh did you have to have a passport to get here <laughs> do you speak yeah. spanish I'm like no I live in the United States of America where did you go to school? Because it's part of part of your country. So, yeah, oh my that. gosh! Well, if, I, if you have a business, when we opened yeah, up, is. we had to have a foreign entity. So anybody who's looking to open up a business in odd. New Mexico is on their list. You have to be. You have to. You're a foreign entity, so it's a little extra steps. But yeah, so technically, I mean, we perpetuate our own. So I don't yeah. mind Clovis. Like, I don't mind Clovis. So I'm in Rapid City. And so I decided, so I tr- I was going to fly down and rent a car. And then um, I would have had to sit, like, I couldn't find a flight on the days that I had to go that I wasn't in sitting in Denver for, like, three hours in a layover. So I'm like, okay, by the time I sit in the layover, I have to, I'm flying into Amarillo. I have to drive. It's like a 15-hour travel day. So I'm like, no problem. I drive everywhere. I'm going to drive. It's 12 straight hours straight down. I do 12 hours. I do 13 and a half to Idaho. No, but no, it's a different drive. I'm not ever doing that again. No, thank you. All I could, I'm like, I went through the way down was all two lane roads. I went through Western Nebraska, which was actually when Nebraska is the prettiest state that I drove through. Like that's when, you know, like things are not going to go good. Not good. And I went both times at like 250 miles with like not even an option to go to the bathroom or um, get gas. There was an option to go to the bathroom. I mean, let's be 100% real. I could have went behind some, I don't know what those little bushes are, but that was it. Getting to New Mexico was a pain. In New Mexico, that was great. It went fine. It was good. Was a good so tell us a little bit about what you guys did while you were down there. Uh, so we, well, I specifically was down there to do ADOS 2 training because we use that assessment in the schools. Um, so I went down and did a two-day training, but Mariah is in the schools. And what all do you do? I get to do lots of fun things. I, so far, have been in ooh, 10, 11, 12, 12, I think, different schools in the district and various classrooms doing staff training on ABA techniques, classroom-wide management, um, very, it's it's really different than what I get to do in my in-home because my in-home is very like laser focused on one child <laughs> and the caregivers and here it's so it, in the district it's it's just on such a bigger scale not saying that I'm not helping with individual student needs but it's a much larger scale so it's been an adjustment but a good one 
Yeah, and I think we've been like kind of talking about how to best serve a school district. So that's been kind of the fun thing about it. The special education director came from a district that they had BCBAs. They, it was a different state, but um, they don't where we're at in New Mexico. And so I think that we've had a really good opportunity for Mariah to train and to provide support to those classrooms because it really is by the time they call her in because they want her to you know, deal or whatever with a child or however they want to do it. We want to be able to provide them the education so that we don't ever have to get to that point. And I think that's where it's a, and it's an adjustment period, this first part. Don't you think Mariah? (laughs) Yes. It's been, it's been good, definitely, but it has been an adjustment in, in just my way of thinking for sure. Well, and we're having some, you know, not Mariah still is in her training period, obviously, because Mariah, do you want to talk about what the policy is for submitting an incident report form and when that is needed and when it isn't? We don't have to go into specifics, but can you tell us? I prefer not to discuss that. (laughs) If something happens that is outside of your normal daily work activities or experiences, you should submit an incident report form to your direct supervisor. Oh, I'm going to say about that. Oh, my gosh. Mariah loves being on her island down there and mm-hmm. <laughs> her island on the middle of the desert. She doesn't get any calls from Brit. Very rarely. Well, and when I, I do, do, she has to give me assurances like nothing's wrong. I just want to check on you. Please don't panic. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she prefaces those requests with. No, I was just going to say that kind of brings us into our um, employee. So interesting i don't have a quote this week so if you all figured out a quote that why you were together but what i'm gonna use is the kraken so i don't remember if we talked about that last time or not but um anissa and our other owner kelly always joke that when i come in it's they're releasing the kraken and so their whole thing is don't release the kraken because it's i don't know i'm well it's me so today, so today I was on a meeting and it was our staff and I do feel bad because they're working on, we're, um, we're working on transitioning to new platforms, which like I said, we've done thousands and thousands of times. I feel like we've tried every software out there for ABA. Hey, this um, is the longest we've been on one though. I know. We're not really happy. Yeah. Yeah. Like everybody is good. But so, um, I let my Brit show through is what I call it <laughs> <laughs> because I usually am the nicer of the two of us, except for these last three weeks. I probably have been more on edge than normal. But today on the meeting, I'm like, (laughs) I go, I I honestly don't care how you figure out what it is that you have to do. I want it to look like this and whatever it needs to happen so that at any point I can get this exact same thing. Like I don't, that's what I want. And Uh, Katie, who is super funny anyway, but she's like, you know, you asked me for a report today and I thought I should, I could just 
show her that there's this one big report that she can look at and figure it out. And she's like, and I thought to myself, is that what I should do? And I'm like, thank God you did not just send me <laughs> a big report for me to sort because that would have not been a good conversation at all. And she's like, yeah. And so I just went the extra step <laughs> and did that. I'm like, thank you, Katie. I don't want to have to. And that's where I said to them, I'm like, I don't want my Brit to show through. I just want to still. But the question <laughs> is, is it your Brit showing through or is it just Anissa and yeah. Brit has learned behavior from Anissa that's no the funny thing is growing up um my (laughs) dad's side of the family actually I think everybody called me little Anissa like growing up that's what they it was little Anissa and I think one day somebody did it and I looked at them and I'm like is that supposed to be a put down like are you trying to be negative because I don't take it negative That's like this last week, we, Anissa had us all do an activity where we had to put our name. We made like little paper tents and put our name on one side and a word that we would use to describe ourselves or others would use to describe ourselves. And one of the district employees has worked with both of my parents for many years, my mom longer than my dad. And I was really struggling. I was like, I don't know what to put here. I don't want these people that I'm training to, to think I'm like mean or, or unfriendly. And she was like, well, I know I can tell you what word I would have put on your mom's. And I wouldn't quite classify you as that yet. Like, I don't think you're at that level yet. You're well on your way to being the head B. But I don't think you're quite there yet. So, I mean, I think it's, we just, we learn from our moms how to, how to handle situations. I don't know what else to say about it. Well, so the best part is Brit, you would have been so proud because I made them put the word on the back that described them. And then we had them try to operationally define what that word meant because it was all like nice and Kind. What were some kind bubbly, <laughs> bubbly? Yeah, like all of those. And I'm like, okay, so how do you? My favorite was one. I don't even remember the word she put, but she was like, I really wanted to put bossy, but I didn't want it to sound negative, so I chose this word instead. But really, what I mean by this is bossy. <laughs> Fair enough. Guess what my guess what my word was. Hmm. I was going to say strong willed. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. I think the difference between Mm -hmm. Brit and I is, you know, that huge age gap that we have as (laughs) mother daughter. But I feel like I, (laughs) I feel like I'm, you know, in my thirties, I probably was way, I mean, we're probably on the same trajectory. I feel like I was way more, (laughs) way more outspoken and, I feel like now I mean, I'm a little tired. I have a different, I kind of go at it a little more sideways, which is probably also working in a university system where you can't go at things head on. You have to handle things so much differently. So much differently. Yeah. Which is not always good because I do feel like direct is better for sure. I will say I do know times when I'm not supposed to be as direct there's probably times when I am still direct that I shouldn't be but I do know how to hold back a little bit I guess I don't know I'm just 
God help us all if that's you holding back a little bit. It is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, so the training went really well. I think that um, we were watching. What year did we decide these videos that we were watching were made? Goodness, Um, at least the decade. Within a decade, well, there were two thousand, so so that could be like late eighties, early nineties. They were, they were probably because the this training was the the actual DVDs were two thousand twelve, so I feel like it was early two thousand. So that leads me to kind of like there's a couple of things I want to talk about as far as what happens after the test. I mean, because that's kind of our focus is that like real life ABA, mm-hmm. but um, I felt there were two things in the videos that I want to talk about. One was. Um, net versus DTT. So the assessment and it's an assessment, not. And so that's where I want to talk about it because it was an assessment versus, um, programming or, or, you know, a session. Uh, so those were two things or that's one thing. And then the other one was, there was so much touching and not inappropriate touching, I guess. I mean, but there was physically hand over hand prompting. There was a spot where, the kid is sitting in a chair and the evaluator kneels beside him and encompasses her arms around him and like does things at the table. Like she's, um, what I can't remember what it is Mariah, what she's trying to get him to do. It was a birthday cake. Pretty much I, she's I, trying to get him to not leave the table so that he had to complete <laughs> what she was working on. <laughs> yeah. That's, so that those the are the two things. That. Yeah. So those are the two things. So when you're in an assessment versus and these were the questions the other, the students had to like, so when you're in assessment, um, it, you have all of these things that you're supposed to be assessing, right? And how do you not skew your assessment results by giving them practice or chances? And how do you know when to just stop? Like if you are supposed to do like four presses of um, saying names, so you're supposed to do, you know, their name four times, that one's pretty clear. But when do you, like, how do you determine when you've, when you're scoring them on like what you're scoring them on or how that works? So I definitely think it's, again, knowing behavior and those behavior responses. So going back to that four times. So a lot of times assessments will say, okay, ask it four times or ask it three times, but really you need to ask it four times that they're attending Mm -hmm. to you because you could ask four times in a row and it could be no, but they can respond to their name. They just weren't attending to it. So making sure that you have that attention and that's why I like assessments that so like essentials for a living in VBMAP. So VBMAP specifically has barriers and essentials for a living has other pro- other behaviors to look at. But the barrier to responding to a name is not attending um, or lack of motivation. So they might have scored zero on attending to name, but you need to make sure and go and also score them lower on that attending and motivation mm-hmm. because if you have appropriate motivation and they're attending and then you say it four times, then it will truly tell you if they 
can or cannot respond to it. So that was the thing too. And the other thing is in assessments, you know, some are very specific about when you can score and what it looks like. And so that was the other kind of issue is because first of all, I think that you have to set, you have to set your client up for success. And that's not, I mean, you're manipulating a little bit the um, setting, but like you have to, if, if they're, if they're under the age of five and, you know, floor work is going to be more probably successful in certain things than making them sit at the table for an hour straight (laughs) for, yeah. And I'm like, if you have a four, four year old, five year old, six year old, we know an hour straight at the table is just not going to be something that's going to be successful. And so how do you, if you have an assessment, you, does it matter if the assessment doesn't say where this, like how it should look, if it says just prepare the room, like you should prepare the room, right? So that it would be a, a good environment. Yeah. So that's, um, if you think back to, uh, so I'm going to go to preference assessments really quick. So preparing the room, you're contriving a situation Mm -hmm. on. And so like for preference assessments, we have contrived preference assessments, which is where we're structuring the room. And then we have the free operant ones where they're truly, you don't prepare anything in the room. It's strictly their natural environment. So in some assessments, you do have to prepare the room or contrive and other assessments, it's just in their not, they walk into the room and that's where Right. Where you score those. I think another thing that was hard to get across based on what we watched in training videos is it's an assessment to see what they can and cannot do. And our inherent nature is to prompt and teach. So Mm -hmm. for like, can you imaginatively play with these items okay, I'm going to model for you because that's what the assessment tells me to do. And then I'm going to put it in your court that then I'm just going to see, right, what you can do, not overdo it and then try to teach you that skill. At the same time, I'm trying to assess your ability to do so. And it just, as practitioners, that is just something that's really hard to do sometimes, especially if it's a kiddo that you're somewhat familiar with and you're, you know, somewhat what they can and can't do that you're like well this isn't a true picture it's really hard to to have that kind of tunnel vision for that assessment period yeah and when we're looking at prompts that's really important too to understand prompt level before you even do an assessment so if we go to um AFLs, so um the living skills and one of them is making the bed Well, if you walk into a room and the bed's messy and you say, make your bed, they actually aren't independent on that skill because you prompt them. So what you would need to observe is you would follow them into the room. And if the bed's not made, then they make the bed on their own. So the natural prompt is the unmade bed. But you telling them to make their bed is an actual, is a prompt. Mm -hmm. So... A lot of times people will score that as yes, they can independently make their bed, but it's actually no, they can make their bed with a vocal prompt, not independently make their bed. Well, and I think the other thing is too, that 
you want them to be, so you, well, you might not, I, I don't know how to even say this, but there's always an end game in mind, no matter like, so we talked about that a little bit about how you have to go into an assessment being completely objective in what you're trying to accomplish for the assessment to be truly valid. Like I, and honestly, if you're doing an assessment, that's, that's completely objective. You have no experience with that, that kiddo, like for the most part, or do you know that prompt level or like how, how really should like the perfect assessment go? Uh, I would say in my mind, the perfect assessment would be the assessor and then somebody who's in their day-to-day environment so that you can, and the assessor being someone who's not in their day-to-day so you can um, evaluate on a known and unknown, known and unknown individual, because they may respond differently to a caregiver or a teacher mm-hmm. who they see every day than to the BCBA who they see once a month, or to right. the school psychologist that they see once a month. And I think the other, going back to the making the bed is understanding the different skills that are involved in a task. So if you prompt, if you say make your bed and they make their bed without any other prompts, they technically can independently put a pillowcase on a pillow. They can independently pull up the blankets. They can independently put a sheet on the bed, but they can't independently make the bed outside of the prompt. Yeah. I think, and that was um, the one thing we had a conversation about, because in this assessment, if they're under a certain kind of developmental age or chronological age, a parent or caregiver should be present. And I think that's the important part too, because there are specific items that you score on how they respond to a caregiver, which is different than how they respond to the evaluator. Um, Yeah respond to name or things like that. I mean, they're just going to respond differently to someone that they, it's a known person, obviously. And that they can respond negatively or positively to a known person. I mean, let's be a hundred percent honest. Mm-hmm. Stick a parent yeah. in a room. They might be way worse. They might be better without a parent. I mean, it can go either and, way. And I think that's our job as um, clinicians or analysts is to really write down all those environmental variables that are in place Mm -hmm. with each skill. So it's not necessarily just checking a box of yes or no. It's checking a box of yes or no, and then explaining what was going on in the environment that it was correct or incorrect. Yeah. No. And I mean, I think we find that in schools with, um, you know, testing in general, like that narrative, you can, have a right answer or a wrong answer, but without that narrative, that testing doesn't really mean as much. And so that was the other thing. Like um, one is respond to name and you can only count it during the respond to name activity, but yet the child responds to name all other times during the assessment. He just, they just didn't during, let's say the respond to name. I'm like, that's where that narrative comes into play because Mm -hmm. we know that sometimes there's other things. And so we have to also be able to have that narrative on what actually happened. And I think it's good to, um, so one thing that we do is we use a number of different assessments mm-hmm. um, when we're evaluating a, a kiddo. So we're not just using one assessment yeah. or one standardized assessment. We're using maybe one or two standardized and then one or two curriculum 
based assessments and understanding where the child falls across the board. And I think the other important um, aspect to remember is when you have your kid and you're getting that initial evaluation or that initial diagnosis, a lot of times they don't see their doctor or the diagnosing physician outside of that one appointment. So they might respond completely differently in that instance than they would, like you said, when a caregiver is present. Um, And that's why some assessments, so I know, I can't think of the name of it, but one of the ADHD assessments, they have to respond to a certain score across two settings and Mm -hmm. two different individuals. So in order to qualify for that ADHD diagnosis, um, and I can't remember the name of that assessment, but so have either of you done an assessment where you're like, it was not at all what you thought it was going to be and that you felt like maybe what the assessment, what do you do when the assessment comes out completely different than what you thought it was going to be? And what, like, how do you handle that? That's when you really have to take all those pieces into consideration Mm -hmm. that that one assessment is just one piece of the puzzle and saying, Okay, I mean, we talked about it with with the trainees this past week. What did they sleep well the night before? Like, is there some extraneous variable that could have made this look different today mm-hmm. before we just totally say like, oh, well, there went that. Um, you know, we do it. I mean, we do it in in-home. We write down every single day for every session, whether there was a setting event present, whether there was something out of the norm. And that's, in my opinion, that should be kind of standard practice when you're administering any sort of assessment, right? Like getting that background information. Um, We talked about specifically in the schools, are they missing, like, are we pulling them to do an assessment during art, like their favorite thing, right? Are they missing recess? So of course, they're not going to be happy to be there, or they're going to respond differently, if they know they're missing out on something. Yeah. And I think when we look at assessments, so I know that I I train everyone in the fact of when we do our initial assessment, we are just getting enough information to start those services and mm-hmm. the real evaluation happens within that first six month months of services. Um, yeah. And I know more than once, Ryan, and I have had a client who scored one way on the initial assessment and then went the complete opposite yeah. way on, on their six month long assessment. And I know there's some insurance companies now that if there's discrepancy between um, the clinician scoring and the caregiver scoring, they ask us why and ask us different questions about that. Mm-hmm. And that's when we're allowed to give that narrative to the, right. to the evaluator. So, well, and I think that's the conversation we've had like across our organization is that initial assessment and for the one um, insurance provider that we do for our client, not, not for our own clients, but um, it's just a snapshot. It's such a short amount of time that you're actually with that client. There's no way you're going to 100% have a really true picture of what that client can or cannot do. And so it doesn't have to be perfect 
in the fact that it does have to at least be objective and be complete and be valid and all these other pieces, what the actual, what you find doesn't necessarily mean anything as far as in the long run, because things can change. But then I know that families are so um, worried because it, it really can mean the difference in those kids getting help in the schools or getting in, we deal with military and it actually can matter where your husband or spouse gets stationed. I mean, there's so many things that ride on these that I know that's why. And I do give parents the disclaimer at that initial, like, here's the information I have. Here is, you know, here's my thoughts. Here's what I'm thinking. And I'm going to be really honest with you. This first treatment mm -hmm. plan is going to be more generic. And then once yeah. we've been here for a little bit, we'll adjust it to their levels. And uh, sometimes we come in and we're like, oh, well, I wrote this as a goal, but they can do this. Like, this is not mm -hmm. something that we need to work on. And after seeing them for two months, here's where our priority, you know, kind of falls. So my favorite. Okay. So I worked as well. So it was me and one of our other BCBAs. We did an assessment for a client in one of the companies that we work with. And um, the families are all most bilingual. So there's, you know, two languages, but we get this client, we do the assessment. The client is older. He does not speak at all. Like he smiles and things and, but he completely does not speak. So we come up with a treatment plan. We do the assessment. We come up with a treatment plan. We're doing pecs. We're trying to figure out how we're going to get him to start saying, ball. I mean, all the goals were completely like, you know, bah, we want him to say, bah, guess what? We get in that first session that, that child, first of all, he speaks both languages. He, in the assessment said, not a word acted like he did not understand, did not, <laughs> did not do anything. He was in his in his family's primary language was completely fluent and sang and danced and watched YouTube and like TikTok. And here are all these 20 goals that are all for <laughs> learning to like see pictures and all this other stuff. Do you remember that, Britt? Yes. Yeah. And that client also understood sarcasm. Mm-hmm. Yes. It was, it was a hot mess. And so I'm like, there's where that assessment that was done by two individuals, like it was two professionals, like it's a social work, mental health, and then a BCBA. And during that assessment, which is an hour, th the client, and then the parents didn't really give any information either. That was the other thing. Cause we did, we do use that client, um, parent, caregiver, interview and they're like oh yeah he doesn't he doesn't really talk and all this but he what they were saying was he doesn't do what they wanted him to do at the level they thought yeah. he could do it and so then even like interpreting what the parents are saying in their interview as to what their child's and then I also wonder too if that mom thought if I say that he does these things, will I not get services? Because I really do need services. Yeah. Like he really, really needed services. But was she worried? You know, 
I mean, I know that we've all been at the doctor where our kids have been sick and we're like, (laughs) and we take them in and they act fine. Mm-hmm. where at home they were acting sick and we'll be like, well, this is what really happened because we don't want to just be sent home and discounted. And I think that's sometimes where caregivers are as well. Yeah. And I think it's important. That's the other good thing. Um, and it we weren't able to in that client situation, but if I can, I like to talk to siblings also. Uh-huh. Um, if we get permission to talk to siblings, because a lot of times too, their perspective on something is completely different than the perspective of the caregiver. I'm sure. So what are they seeing or what are their concerns? Um, One uh, sibling interview I did, the biggest concern was that the, the mom has the sibling help out, but every time they tried to help out, the client would smack them. So... But if they didn't help out, then they'd get in trouble. So it was like, how do I get my brother not to slap me <laughs> when my, my mom tells me I need to help out? So then, of course, that opened up a whole different discussion with mom, too. But um, mom yeah. didn't report any aggression in that assessment. But the sibling reported aggression. Well, and I think, too, because as a parent, you want your child to be seen in the best light possible. I mean, you want, and I feel like this is definitely with families that either have kids with developmental disabilities or ASD or whatever, especially in the schools, like they probably have already been labeled one very specific way um, in the classroom. And you as a parent want people to understand that there's more to your child than maybe what, why we're being seen, you know, cause I, you know, in the school system are these assessments to get them, you know, help with IEPs or get a para or whatever. And so as a f- parent, I'm going to be like, well, they're, they do good things. Like, you know, yeah. like it's not always biting, hitting, yelling, screaming, whatever. Okay. So this was not the topic we were talking about today, but I'm going with it for assessments. Um, so for the, the takeaway and think about it, what I want our listeners to think about is what are some assessments that they use? What training was actually provided to them on those assessments? And do they believe that they are competent in those assessments? Um, because so I taught one of the classes I taught was um, an assessment class. And yes, we talk about descriptive um, descriptive assessments, experimental assessments. But we really, for the curriculum-based assessments, we would only focus on one or two. And they wouldn't necessarily be the assessments that were used in the my students' company. So... Yes, we taught on, you get it in your coursework because it's required in your coursework to have assessments, but are you getting additional training on assessments that are actually used in your clinic or in your setting? Well, and mine is the assessment on how you're you're to do an assessment versus how real life looks. Because I feel like that's my discussion in any of these assessments or if we're having to help... um, clinicians do assessments they're like this doesn't even like I can't there's no way I'll get a valid assessment because 
it's unrealistic or are, or is it that it's realistic? We just don't have the training. And so what is, what is needed? Yeah. And I think it depends too on your level and what really what companies are using. So when my first company, we did only use the VB map initially Mm -hmm. as I was leaving, we're trying to bring in more assessments, but then I interviewed to move to the next job and they asked me what assessments I was fluent in or what assessments I had experience in. And the only reason I knew of any other assessments was because I was in my PhD program. Otherwise, if Mm -hmm. I were just coming from that company, I would only have known about the VB map because that's the only assessment I was exposed to in that setting. And that, I mean, I can speak to that as well. That was one thing. My bachelor's degrees are not in ABA in the slightest. I mean, it's speech and psychology. So the only exposure that I had to true ABA things and knowledge was the at that time I was a BC ABA. So it was a five secret sequence course and that was it. So I really had to rely on my supervisors to train me on assessments. And at some point, if you, you can only do so much with one assessment, like the VB map is wonderful. And we, I mean, we use it all the time, but what happens when you're like, okay, now I have a 13 year old who's fully vocal language and, you know, we need to work on executive functioning skills. I can't use the VB map for that. Um, So just really advocating for yourself too. I I feel like my talks always come back to advocating for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Self-advocating. And I mean, at my, at, at a, previous company we had to use this assessment because it's what insurance required but no one knows no one knew how to use it so I was like cool I'll deep dive into this and create resources and create a training for everyone in the company to learn about this assessment so sometimes it just takes like digging in and seeing what you can find and that's the nice thing most of these publishers that do these assessments have some free resources on how to utilize them. Well, and I think that is a very good point because um, I just finished my coursework and we have a class on assessments, but we don't really, we don't have time to really go into how you would administer an assessment and how it looks in like real life. I feel like that's why those supervision hours are so important because I think if I wasn't at a place where I would have the opportunity to do things like you would be missing so much of what you need to be a BCBA. If you don't have a supervisor or you don't have a place where you can practice your skills, like there's so much, the coursework is fine, but there's so much that's missing. So much that's missing. Well, and I want to, so I want to take away this definition of assessment. So the assessment is actually in its definition, it's a measure of the individual's performance across specific Mm -hmm. benchmarks indicating the appropriate development age for each skill and what the assessment is to be used for 
is to inform the goals and structures of the therapy program. So I, is another soapbox of mine, but you don't necessarily need a curriculum with these assessments. So what you're doing is you're just finding the benchmarks of where your client currently is at. And then taking that typical developmental age and um, what they need in the environment and then creating your goals based on that. So I think a lot of times you come out of school and you think, oh man, I need to do this direct observation and I need to do it exactly this way. And it has to look like this. Or I can't do an indirect observation without doing a direct observation. Well, technically, all you're doing is assessing that child's development in order to inform your goals. So in that moment in time, you identify where they're at and then you create those goals. If something happens, like Mariah had said, where we were completely wrong on where they are benchmark wise, then we adjust the goals. We didn't fail in doing our assessment. That's just what we saw in that moment. Yeah. Well, that is nice. Thank you for sharing that. But that is, (laughs) (laughs) as a new BCBA, which I'm not, but I can assume that as a new BCBA that passes their test and is thrown into a company and is like, do this because we know as an industry Like, I feel like you're just, you're thrown in and that is all good and well. But if you don't have the support of a good supervisor and you haven't done your hours and you haven't done your things, that is going to be horrifying, horrifying. Well, in this instance, again, I'm going to say, don't be dumb, but don't be dumb (laughs) and not ask questions. That's where I'm with that one. No, I get it. I do. I get it. But I also feel like just from going to these conferences in this last year and talking to new BCBAs, I'm like, I feel like there's a lot of companies and I'm not, I I don't, I don't think it's across the board and I don't want to generalize, but I do feel like there's not a lot of support sometimes because there is this push for billables. And I feel like that's where we really have to make sure that we as professionals. So I'm older. I feel like I don't have a problem advocating for myself, but I do feel like there are, I mean, imagine you coming in as that young BCB. I mean, you both were there and and had to advocate. Yeah. And have to advocate for yourself because I read these Facebook forums and things like that, where people are like, Oh, we were just thrown in. We have a 35 client caseload and we're supervising, we're doing this. And then we're supposed to figure out assessments and we're supposed to do all these things that we know we're supposed to do. But if you don't have the support, like, well, and I think in that instance, you need to remember as a new BCBA or a new professional in the field is a lot of times if you're working somewhere that the pay doesn't seem realistic, like it's crazy good pay, most likely you're not going to get the training that you need. So in advocating for yourself really starts in that individual interview process of Mm -hmm. instead of asking, um, what do I make per hour or what is my salary or when do I get vacation time? Ask what type of training programs are Mm -hmm. they? How many times a month am I seen by a supervisor? Um, What type of continuing education do I have access to? 
Um, our what does a typical caseload look like? What's a typical <laughs> caseload look like? Yeah, so I do think it's twofold, and a lot of times, mm-hmm. and I'm. I say this, it's a, it's across the board, but a lot of new people coming in the field see these fancy uh, $90,000 to $120,000 salaries, but they don't know that they have to have a caseload of 30 to 50 kids in order to make that salary. Yeah, or that you don't make the salary if you don't make your billables. Yeah. And making your billables, I mean... It's just, it is an interesting thing, but I do think that, um, I think it's helpful to be able to have that support too. And, and, and when you're doing assessments and things and and, and when you're developing programming and hopefully you had a supervisor that during your hours, I mean, that's the reason we have to do all these, these hours, right. Is to grow Mm -hmm. in our competence. And so it's all very important, but again, I'm okay. Just being, being a behavior analyst. No, you need to be the Okay. So I feel like we got on a on a tangent at the end, which would be for a whole new different podcast. Um so before we wrap up, do you have any any questions or any comments about assessments, either of you? Learn as many assessments. Just look at assessments. Look at different assessments. Even if you think it might not be something that you can use, just like, hey, this I saw this on a Facebook post. I'm curious about it. Just be familiar with different things. That's my two cents. Don't, don't get tunnel vision because you like one assessment. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah. And I think that is important because you get comfortable with one and you're like, that's all I'm going to use. It's just easier. I know this. So learning a new skill. And I do think as a, done with my coursework, but still working on my hours that I think it's important to, you're right, to diversify what your knowledge base is, because at some point, you're probably going to have a client that needs something different than what you've learned or what you think that you're um, an expert as. Because every single day, I think I got it. And then something happens. And I'm like, hmm. (laughs) Maybe I don't got it. (laughs) She love me, love me, love me, love me, love. She love me like nobody else. All right. Well, that wraps it up for another episode of Teaching My Mother ABA. Thank you, Mariah, for coming on. And thank you for being such a good training person with me. We had fun. We did. It was good. It was good. I like seeing people in person. I do. Like, I kind of miss that, but. Um, Britt's shaking her head no. But anyway, okay. Uh, sorry. Head over to our <laughs> Facebook and Instagram at knowledge.now.solutions. Check out all the things we have going on, all of the stuff that Britt has been working on to um, get ready for the holiday season is upon yes. us, right? Yes. Some great new things we're going to have. And thank you for um, KNOW Behavioral Solutions for sponsoring Teaching My Mother ABA and Pretty Easy Podcast for making us sound so good. And remember, we have our complete ABA Caregiver Roadmap, Britt. Yes, Uh, you can order it on Facebook. You can order it. It's up on Etsy, actually, too. I'll make sure those links go in the description. show notes and we have a master class in caregiver support coming up 
the end of October, beginning of November. Um, you can go to our Facebook page and find out more information about that. And as I said, we're also having our RBT course, the long-awaited RBT course oh, that I think we've been working on for two years now, um, <laughs> is going to be available sometime in October. Um, I'm plus proud of it. Proud of it. Proud of it. Yeah, get your recording done. <laughs> <laughs> plus, we're going to have some ABA games available for sale for that will make great Christmas presents. So remember, it's all fun and games until you have to teach your mom ABA. <laughs> <laughs>